0: A warning to be aware of what may be lurking around the corner. Here's Dr. Michael Yusuf.
1: The enemy of our souls have managed to lure so many professing Christians into conformity to this present age. Satan is happy to sing lullaby to all the spiritually sleepy Christians. Satan convinced many others that because grace of God is free, Therefore, grace will cover sin and disobedience when it is even deliberate. In the meantime, devastating volcanoes are around the corner.
0: Welcome to Leading the Way with pastor and author Dr. Michael Youssef. If you're not familiar with Leading the Way, here are the basics. Leading the Way is a media ministry focused on reaching those living in spiritual darkness all over the world. Leading the Way to the light and hope of Christ through the truth of God's Word in the Bible. You see, for more than 30 years, Dr. Yusuf has used technology and media to point people toward the gospel. And leading the way has become a part of many personal stories in recent months, as people have leaned even further into tech and media for connecting to the world. Right now, though, let's listen as Dr. Yusuf shares a message from his powerful series, Identity Transformation.
1: Mount St. Helens in the Cascade Range in the state of Washington exploded let me read to you what the scientists have said about that. They said, this is the most visible indication of the power of nature that the modern world has ever seen. End of quote. Precisely at 8.32 a.m. Pacific time, on that day, May 18, 1980, the explosion ripped that mountain with a fierce 10 million TNT. That is roughly 500 Hiroshima's. Think about that. Before it took place, scientists knew that it's coming. Scientists have warned government officials that it is coming. Scientists have pleaded with government officials to evacuate the mountain. And the government did. All government authority united together in order to get people out. And they all left except for a white-bearded fellow by the name of Harry Truman. not the president, (laughs) and 60 others. I will never forget watching that man being interviewed on television. When Mr. Truman said in an interview, he said, I am not leaving this mountain. I know this mountain. This mountain is my friend. This mountain will never hurt me. This mountain will never harm me. I trust this mountain, so I'm staying right here. And 60 other people followed him in that foolish decision. When the mountain finally exploded, Mr. Truman and those 60 others, who refused to heed the warning, were charred by 300-degree temperature, moving at 200 miles an hour. Now, this obviously left an indelible impression on me because I've always viewed my gift as an exhorter from the Word of God. And so, when I see something like this, it cannot leave me very easily, because spiritually speaking, I am watching again and again. This time, those who refuse or ignore the biblical warnings, sadly, will experience a far worse spiritual fate than Mr. Truman and the 60 others on Mount St. Helen. Here's what I perceive, at least what is happening today. The enemy of our souls have managed to lure so many professing Christians into conformity to this present age. Himirat, please. Satan is happy to sing lullaby to all the spiritually sleepy Christians. Satan is more than glad to lull many Christians to sleep, spiritually speaking. Satan convinced many others that. Because grace of God is free, therefore grace will cover sin and disobedience when it is even deliberate. Satan delights in getting us into busy life. I mean, we get so bogged down with the social activities and social life and with sports and everything else that's going on that we spend so much time getting bogged down in life's activities that we leave very little time with God and His Word. In the meantime, devastating volcanoes are around the corner. Again, it appears to me at least, there are very few who want to heed the warnings. There are very few who are sobered up. There are very few who are willing to examine their life's priority. There are very few who want to reassess where they are spiritually. There are very few who want to self-examine themselves as the Scripture exalts us. There are very few who want to make the hard decisions of placing God back in our lives, in our homes, in our churches. It is no wonder that Peter's words in this particular epistle, he left the very last, most powerful warning to the very end of the epistle. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 8. I want to give you a literal translation. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, or your enemy, or your accuser, the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. The amazing thing here is that the Word of God does not go on to give us a list of do's and don'ts. That's not the Christian life. The Apostle Peter does not give us a list of to do, what to do, and what not to do. The Word of God gives us a condition in which we can find ourselves victorious over sin. If you do not want to fall in Satan's trap, you need to find yourself in this certain position. He said, if you are constantly sober, if you are constantly vigilant, you don't have to worry about falling in temptation. (laughs) Peter uses these words very, very deliberately, and I'm going to explain to you why. Sober and vigilant. Can you say them with me? Why? Because sober is different from vigilant. You can be sober without being vigilant, but you cannot be vigilant without being sober. And that is why he puts sober first, and then he puts vigilant. (laughs) One of the biggest killers in our country is drunk driving. And because a drunk person has an impaired vision… A drunk person has an impaired reactive mechanism. A drunk person has an impaired control over his or her limbs. But do you know what is the greatest tragedy of a person who is not sober? Everyone around that person can see his condition, except the drunk person himself. Please listen to me. I'm going to tell you why because drunkenness or lack of sobriety creates the ultimate deception, and it is self-deception. And if I'm seeing anything today, it is self-deception. I know from my own life, and I know from counseling myriads of people, that self-deception is tragic. It really is. And that is why the Apostle Peter pleads with the believers, don't let Satan deceive you. Don't Fall for Satan's deception, for he ultimately wants to lead you into self-deception. Beloved, listen, we are seeing this deception everywhere we look. It's in politics, it's in the media, it's in churches, it's among church leaders. And one of the things that Satan uses effectively is to get us so bogged down in our lives and our sports and in our activities and our social activities and in the media, on and on and on and on. We get so bogged down, and we have very little time to spend with God and His Word, because that's the only way you can remain sober and vigilant. Peter is pleading with us to be serious-minded as to the devil's intention toward us, the believers. His intention is to entrap us. And don't ever forget that entrapping us may it take days or weeks, but sometimes may even take years. He is constantly working, setting up the traps, and it takes time to set up the traps. Sometimes it takes a long time, sometimes it happens very quickly. And then wham, we're in the middle of a volcano. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Jesus gave Peter a warning. Simon, Simon, Satan has sought permission to sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you. Listen, I saw, I grew up with wheat sifting from the chaff. It's not a joyride. And Jesus was warning Peter, this is going to happen But Peter probably was thinking of his experience the day before the crucifixion when he denied his Lord three times. But I also learned something else about what Peter said here uh, through the research that I have done with my book, Conquer. And if you have not read it, let me encourage you, not only read it, but heed it. And I discovered that there are three times a lion lets a roar. He lets a roar when there is an intruder, some other lion's coming into his territory, and he's saying, get out of here. This is my turf. Get out. So he'll roar. The second time a lion roars is when he sees a thunder. He hates thunder and lightning. And he roars. But the third, and perhaps what Peter had in mind here, the third occasion in which the lion roars, and he probably roars the loudest also, is when he catches his prey. Perhaps this is the roar that Peter has in mind. When a lion is setting up the traps to catch his prey, he is as quiet as a mouse. Extremely quiet. This lion, when he sets his sights on his victim, he becomes perceptibly very quiet. He's tippy-toeing. He doesn't want his prey to know that he's nearby, so he's very, very quiet. But the moment he catches his prey... He moves with lightning speed to catch that prey. And then once he got this prey under him, he lets the loudest roar. It is a roar of victory. It's a roar of subjugation of his prey. It is a roar of intimidation of his prey to surrender. No wonder. Paul said about Satan's conniving, cunning, planning, entrapping, setting the traps, he said, Of all this, we're not ignorant. I wish we can say that. Don't take lightly Satan's design to devour you. Don't be flippant about you taking baby steps away from the Lord and from His Word. Don't rationalize or explain away the coldness of your love toward the Lord and put some sort of spiritual tag around it. The Scripture is filled with examples of how great men and women who have failed to see the traps that are being set for them, and then when the volcano came, they wept bitterly. There's a world of difference between being ambushed and staying ambushed. Probably this difference cannot be clearer than the difference between Peter and Judas. You see, they both were warned by the Lord. They were, really. The Lord warned Peter, he's going to deny me three times. And at the Lord's Supper, he warned Judas, he's going to betray me. They both were told about the traps of the devil. One wept bitterly and repented, and God used him mightily, and the other one wept, but he committed suicide. What's the difference? What's the difference? One got trapped and did not stay trapped, and the other one got trapped and he stayed trapped. Look at verse 10. We're still at 1 Peter, chapter 5. And the God of all grace, how many graces are this? The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, His grace is given to us not so that we may take it for granted, not that to presume on God's goodness and live in disobedience, especially deliberate disobedience. His grace is given to us to give us victory. His grace is given to us to empower us, empower us to overcome, to recover what is lost, to recover the time we spent away from Him, to recover our loss of appetite for serving Him, to recover the lost opportunities of ministering, to recover lost resources and lost money and lost blessings that we spent on other things other than His kingdom, to help us recover. He can and He will replace the year that has been eaten by the locusts, because He is the God of all what? I will never forget when my family and I were, happened to be speaking at a seminar in Hawaii, and, and then we got invited to go and tour the uh, memorial of Pearl Harbor. As we stood there with the guide, and, and he was telling the story afresh, and how we were so oblivious to the Japanese scheming and planning and plotting of this kamikaze attack, I can tell you, it put shivers down my spine. When they came under the cloak of darkness, within 200 miles of the Hawaiian shore, they had very clear mission. They had very clear vision. Total destruction of the naval fleet in Hawaii. Shortly before sunrise, on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese planes were sighted, but it was too late. It's too late. And yet, we did not surrender. We turned around and mobilized the nation and defeated Japan. Beloved, in spiritual warfare, that's exactly what should happen, that we must not stay ambushed. Get up! Where are you? Get up! My beloved, Satan has two aims in his life. He has two goals. It's very simple. His aim toward the non-believers is to keep them as non-believers, keep them away from the truth of Christ. For the believers, he has one aim. He has one aim to distort the truth of the Scripture, to distort the truth of the Gospel, so much so that the truth gets mixed up with falsehood, and people begin to wonder, I don't know what truth and what not anymore. Let me make a statement, and I pray to God you'll take it to heart. Satan's greatest activities is taking place with believers who are not sober and vigilant. He's doing it. He's setting the traps. He's working. It may take weeks, months, years. He's at it. Satan's greatest activity is to confuse believers to let them muddle the truth with love, and they say, we don't know what and where. See, that's what's happening. This is what's happening all around us. And are we surprised? Yet the Bible clearly speaks, it says that we are to speak the truth in love. Don't separate them. They are go together. If you love somebody, speak the truth. Look at verse 10. God is the God of all grace call on Him. Call on Him. The God of all grace is ready to defend you. The God of all grace is ready to protect you. The God of all grace is ready to lift you up and fight on your behalf. All you need to do is to be sober and vigilant. That includes being truthful with yourself. Being truthful with yourself. If you keep blaming somebody else for this, if you keep blaming everybody else for that and the other thing and your parents didn't do this and you, this person didn't do that and the other person said, oh, it's really not my fault, you're not going to get off first base. <laughs> Question. How do you stay sober and vigilant? There's no going around this. Spelled T-I-M-E. Spending time with God. Somebody said, well, Michael, I pray all day long. That's fine. Keep doing it. But you have to take time to spend with God and His Word, because that's the only way I know that you're going to remain sober and that you're going to remain vigilant. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon. Who is she who's in Babylon? Babylon was a code for Rome. It was a code word among the persecuted Christians. They called it Babylon. Because of the decadence of Rome, because of the self-indulgence of Rome, because of the persecution of Christians by Rome, the believers called it Babylon. Beloved, listen to me. Babylon could be any city, USA, any city, Europe, where we're seeing with our own eyes decadence, self-indulgence. Lack of self-discipline, giving in to the merchants of sin. That's Rome. And we are living in Rome. She who is in Babylon, that's the church of Jesus in Rome. The bride of Christ in Rome. Suffering persecution in Rome. Send greetings to the believers in the church of Asia Minor. I want to tell you this as I conclude, Now, pray to God you're listening carefully. Many years ago, it's a true story. In the city of London, there was a famous wild animal trainer. He would train these wild beasts to literally respond at his command, or to his command. There was one particular act that always brought the crowd to their feet. It's when 35 feet boa Restrictor would wrap around him. Now, the trainer, he raised this reptile uh, since it was only a few days old. For 25 years, he raised it. He carried it. He fed it. He would spend time with it. In this particular act, the trainer would lie on the ground and then he would have this pet boa wrap around him and would begin with its tail to squeeze this massive reptile wrapped around the body. But then, at a certain point, at his command, it would uncoil and release him. One day in London, after all those years, things did not go the way they intended to go. The boa wrapped around the master, as always did, And when suddenly the reptile turned back to its true nature and kept on squeezing. Thousands of people were cheering, but the reptile kept on squeezing and squeezing. He would give it the signal. Nothing happened. It kept on squeezing. The trainer cried out for help, but everybody thought this was part of the act. Nobody moved. And finally, the so-called trained snake squeezed life out of its master. The harmless pet became brutal monster. I want to ask you this, and I want you to ask yourself, what is the one thing that is gradually wrapping itself around you? What is the thing that is gradually choking out your spiritual life? What temptation are you flirting with? What pet are you lying down with? Beloved, only you can answer that. Whether it's a godless relationship, with this critical spirit that's keeping you from fellowshipping with God, whether it is money, whether it is lust, only you know what it is. It could be hundreds of different things. Only you can answer that question. And today, whatever it may be, I pray to God that you drop that reptile We'll pick them up later and throw them out. Amen?
0: This is Leading the Way with pastor and author of more than 40 books, Dr. Michael Yusuf. You can listen to other messages in this series, Identity Transformation, by visiting our website today, ltw.org, ltw.org. Never before has our nation been so divided, so distracted, so prone to seeking our own way. Yet for the believer, we are called to a hope that does not disappoint. Join Leading the Way's newest initiative, Awake Australia, a call to God's people to pray for a spiritual awakening like we have never witnessed before. We are asking Bible-believing Christians all over the country join us as we pray in our neighbourhoods, our cities and on our campuses. Pray that God will bring salvation and revival to our land. Will you partner with Leading the Way by joining this growing movement to Awake Australia? Together we will proclaim the uncompromising truth of Christ. To join us in this critical mission, go to ltw.org and sign up today. Engage with Leading the Way by calling 1-300-133-589. That's 1-300-133-589. Or the website again is ltw.org, ltw.org. And so we've come to the end of today's time together. Do join us again next time, won't you? This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth.